In this episode of Full Stack Radio, David shares the details behind the pricing changes he's decided on for Push Silver and talks about some of the new features and marketing strategies he's working on for the upcoming launch. I share the details behind my decision to bring on a co-founder for Kitesail, talk a bit about the collaboration process when working on an app with somebody else, and give some updates on where I'm at with getting Kitesail integrated into my course app. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 65. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast, episode 65, in fact. I am back with David Hemphill to keep talking about product stuff. How's it going, David? It's going awesome, man. What's new with you, dude? What's new with me? Lots of stuff. Working on pricing changes for Push Silver based on the the revelations of last episode. <laughs> Did you land on like exact prices yet that you're willing to share or is that still a work in progress or what do you kind of got going? I think I could share prices. I feeling like the 69, 139 is a good price point, but I'm going to offer a significant discount on the launch. So what are those for $69 for what? And $139 for what? 69 will be for like a yearly account. So if you just want to go year to year, uh, you can do that. Um, but it really makes more sense to do the 139 and just have your invoicing covered for all eternity. Yeah. So the 69 annual pricing is sort of like an option, but it's mostly like a price anchoring kind of thing to to make people realize like how valuable the, the lifetime is and kind of make it a no-brainer. Sure. Yeah. Even if I just offered one lifetime with no yearly, that would still be like, crazy value compared to what you can do now. Like if you paid 15 bucks a month, you're paying me like $180 a year. Yeah. And, and to get it for 139 is like crazy. It's not, yeah. not even something people hear about. Yeah, man. But the launch pricing will be even, even crazier. Like it's just <laughs> like, this is like a car salesman kind of our price. We're cutting prices. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what the launch prices are going to be? The launch prices are going to be forty nine for the yearly. Is that going to be is that going to be forever? Like you pay forty nine and you get to keep paying forty nine, or is that only for the first year? Yeah, I think I was thinking like a lifetime discount. Okay, yep, I'm on board with that. Uh, so forty nine dollars for the yearly for lifetime yearly plan, and then ninety nine dollars for the lifetime. So it's like an insane discount. Got it forever. Yep, and it's going to get better because I've already built a bunch of cool stuff. Yeah, man, for that's the good. I think those prices are pretty reasonable because if you look at like um, the other day, I had to like renew my sketch license, for example, because they recently switched from like a one-time purchase um, to a. They don't call it a subscription model because that's not really a subscription model, but basically every time you pay for it you get 12 months of updates included, right? So they wanted to move off of the the sort of approach that was pretty typical with desktop software where, you know, version two would come out and you'd buy version two. And then when version three came out, you had to buy that again. Yeah, and everybody's ticked when new versions come out, even if they're awesome. Yeah, And, and the other thing that sucks about that model is that you're sort of incentivized as the software maker to sort of batch features and save the really good features for the next version, even if they're yeah. ready right now and you could release them right now. So I think the sketch idea is really good because what they do is like you pay, I think it's like 69 bucks or something like that. Um, and you get access to the downloadable version of the app and that version that you downloaded will continue to work forever. It's not like they ping back to the server and check your subscription every time and say, oh, we're disabling the app because you haven't paid. It's not like an Adobe sort of thing like that. But you do get free updates for the next year now. So there's nothing around where people would be trying to time when they buy it to like maximize how many updates they get. It's just like so much more simple and fair. But if what I was trying to say is if you look at those sorts of apps that are like $69, whatever, I think your pricing is like really well aligned with like what you would pay for like a desktop app that someone would still need to maintain anyways. So it's sort of a cool angle. Cause I like, 
I like thinking of Push Silver now as it's like a desktop app that's served by a server. You know what I mean? And it's just yeah. using all the same e- economics of a, a regular desktop app. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I like that. I've even kind of thought about like versioning Push Silver, but I don't know if I'm willing to do that yet. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking of it in the same way. I guess it's almost based out of that fear. Like what if everybody buys and then it drops off and I'm supporting these users with no growth for all eternity, you know, that's kind of the only real worry, but it's not a worry, you know, if it doesn't happen or. Yeah. I mean, I think there's pros and cons of both, right? I guess if you look at like that things app that just came out, right? Like there was tons of hype around like this things three and all the new features and it was totally redesigned, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you compare that to the sketch approach where it's like now we can release like a new update every month that maybe has like one new major feature in it and we can announce that feature. You don't get the same level of hype for each one of those small releases, but it's nice that you get to like consistently talk about new stuff, which I think help or sorry, I think helps keep you kind of in people's minds more than something that's every two years, a new version comes out or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely like the way this is happening because I can just focus on building those new features and just giving them when they're ready to go, you know, instead of kind of like batching them or, you know, raising prices and releasing new features because the people have already bought in and, you know, I like that. And so I could like recurring, you know, it didn't get very many much. It's not using being used very much because, you know, it's behind the paywall. You know, you have to pay to actually get the recurring. So people are not getting the value out of that. Yeah. That was kind of frustrating. So being able to, to give it to everybody, whether they're on yearly or the lifetime plan, is going to be nice. Yeah. It's kind of nice, too, to just have a real simple setup where you don't have to worry about, like, gating certain features for different people and worrying about the how that affects the UI. And it just, like, makes yeah. the whole thing just, like, less problems to think about yeah working on the kind of like the beta version that i can play with it's i've just been removing so many conditionals related to plans and features it's just everybody gets everything which is kind of interesting because i've got a bunch of free users and i haven't figured out what to do with them yet yeah i was about to ask you if you kind of had a plan for that yet it's hard to say i mean i don't think anyone who's currently using it to send three invoices every month for free or whatever really has like a right to complain if like that goes away for them. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think in some ways you have like a kind of a good, it's kind of helpful to have all those people in the system because now you can like send an email to those people kind of announcing like the pricing changes and say like, Hey, um, we're redoing everything you can just pay $99 during this like launch sale period once and then you never have to think about it again and you have access uh, to it forever. You know what I mean? So I think you can spin sure. it in a way that's like, I don't know. It doesn't make sense for you to continue to support a free plan. I don't think. Um, I think we talked a little bit about like a trial period or like a money back kind of thing. What were you uh, thinking in terms of that and sort of like, making people feel comfortable like testing it out if they're not committed to it yet. Oh yeah. I th- I think a 60 day money back guarantee, you know, just try it for 59 days and 59 or <laughs> 11 hours and 59 minutes. And if you don't like it on that last minute, just email me and I'll give you, you know, your money back versus like a 30 day tr- trial where you're actually not paying for anything yet. I think it's good to, get to people that have some skin in the game and are actually serious buyers, but then offer a complete no questions asked refund. Yeah. I think that's good. I think that makes a lot of sense. I always kind of thought, um, sometimes when you see like the money back guarantee, like pitched on things, they always put like that little like gold star and it's like angled on the sales page, like (laughs) 60 day money back guarantee. And it looks like some sort of like used car salesman sort of crappy thing. But I think if you like pitch it right, I think it definitely is like the better approach because yeah, I don't know. It just makes a lot more sense to me to basically say to people, Hey, listen, like you can try this like for zero risk. I'll give you your money back no matter what. And you have 60 days to try it and then get your money back uh, versus like a seven day free trial or something where Mm -hmm. you only have seven days to use it. And 
you might not even use it in those seven days and then your trial will be up and then you won't even be able to come and use it i don't know i was listening to a talk by by jason cohen the wp engine founder i think i might have sent it to you he did this talk at microconf was like 2013 called uh designing the ideal bootstrapped business i'll have to link to it but he mentioned this like uh idea of the free trial versus the money back guarantee and he said for them when they switched from a 14-day trial to a 60-day money back guarantee they actually have more signups uh, even though technically like people are paying more now because before if someone does a 14-day free trial they're not paying for anything and if they don't convert then you got nothing from them mm-hmm. uh, and they actually got that for free but now with the money back guarantee they have like a 60-day trial period in essence right in the sense that like it's a a risk-free period where they can get their money back if they want but they're paying for their trial in that case yeah. um so wp engine actually makes more money that way but they have more signups because the customers felt more comfortable feeling like okay i have more time to try this like 14 days i don't know if i'm going to be able to get around to making good use of it in that time uh, so i really want to time my sign up so that i really like yeah get to use it at the right time but the the money back thing seems to kind of get rid of those fears a little bit yeah definitely you get the people that are more invested willing to pay for products so and then there's no risk for them but then you also save people from feeling like maybe i should just do like multiple trials on different emails and you know worrying about like does this email similar to this email are they trying to rip me off i just don't you know the paywall fixes all it's true that's a good point too again it's just one of those ways of like dodging a problem entirely by like rethinking your sort of trial strategy yeah yeah that's awesome uh so do you have like a launch date picked i'm thinking um everything seems on track to launch on june 14th nice so what are your plans kind of leading up to that like do you have uh any sort of uh ideas of what you want to do to try and like hype it up and get people like knowing about it and get people excited to capitalize on their new lifetime invoicing app. Well, I've kind of been tweeting out stuff as I as I build it because now it's kind of a race. Since the pricing's already in place, I can now just like focus on like a mad rush to build in extra features and stuff like that. Yep. And so I've been kind of tweeting those out with with pictures and you know I think I'll do maybe do some blogging based on that kind of pumping it up and I need a really capitalize on the people that are on the newsletter. I've only sent one newsletter out to existing push silver users since it's, um, I think I did that two or three, well, maybe it was like three or four months ago. Yeah. That was the first and only time I've actually emailed the whole user base, which is probably a big no, no. You know, what might be a good idea. I don't know if you're thinking about doing this already. You should maybe make like a landing page for push silver 2.0 or whatever the hell, you know, it is in your mind to just sort of like pre-announce the pricing stuff, sort of like just something like small that sort of teases at it, but just to like collect some email addresses. Cause you could probably get a hundred people to sign up or something. And then at least you can email those people the day before you do the launch. And I mean, on the landing page, you like promise the discount and all that stuff. And then when people uh, sign up for that, at least you can like actually push messages to them instead of, you know, talking about it on Twitter and then hoping that people are around like when you announce it and happen to see the the tweet or whatever. I don't know if I've ever really seen people do like a, I don't know. I'm sure there's companies that like do landing pages and like capture emails for like new versions and stuff. But I think there's definitely no bad parts to doing that. It definitely seems like a smart thing to do to me. I don't know exactly what content you'd put on there, but something to sort of get as many people as you can to be able to actually push that information out to them. Uh, Cause it's probably not something that's at the top of everyone's mind all the time, waiting every day until they can buy this invoicing app. But if you can capture some emails, then you can at least let people know instead of hoping they see. Yeah. Hoping they see on, on social networks and that sort of thing. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out different ways people can game it. Of course, I'm not really worried if people game the system. Like if I offered like some sort of like, ridiculous discount to people that are already free users just for like you know a goodwill measure for taking away their three invoices a month i, I can see people like signing up for the free account now in the in the mid 
like the middle of it so that they can get that ridiculous thing if I announced it. I don't know. I wouldn't announce that, but like that might be something you could use to soften the blow to those people. Like people who listen to this podcast, I guess will know about it. But if you do email those people and say like, hey, it's on launch sale is like $99. Uh, but you guys who have been using it for free on the free plan, you can get it for 79 or or just something to to soften that blow a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. Could work. Yeah. Definitely keep that in, in my mind. Do you have um, a product hunt account? I do. And Push Silver's already on there, thanks to my friend Michael, who is enthusiastic about Push Silver. But, um, and so I'm, I'm going to see if I can just do like a Push Silver relaunch, like maybe branded as a 2.0. That way you can get a new, you know, product. Because there's a lot of stuff that's been added, but. Yeah, people definitely do like multiple product hunt launches for things. Like Bear Metrics gets on product hunt every time they add a new feature. So I think it's <laughs> definitely possible. Um, I wonder if there's like a way that you could name it that like, you know, includes the lifetime aspect. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but like something that gets people thinking, well, that's interesting. Like a lifetime SaaS, like, you know, built into the headline somehow, you know what I mean? Right. Hmm. I don't know what you would call it. Push silver for life or like, (laughs) yeah, you kind of build the narrative around this lifetime. Nobody's ever done this before. Sort of, you know, it's not a, a common thing in SaaS yeah, apps exactly. to offer lifetime. It's, it's a little unconventional, like, right? Which I think will get people's attention. So I think it's yeah. probably good to push on that a little bit. It's kind of cool. Yeah, and it's definitely in contrast to the, the other companies that do invoicing, which is all, they're all monthly or yearly based. Nobody's doing lifetime because they're all too big. Which is perfect. That's why you can just sneak in the back door and just steal all the people who are unhappy with all these. Uh, you should get a. You should start a commissioning NPS surveys of uh, your other invoicing companies. <laughs> yeah. Find out uh, if there's a bunch of unhappy people there that are sick of paying for software that they only use three times a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah most people seem to be worried. They just want to make sure they have what they have in the other invoicing software already they want to make sure they have the features are already you know like michael dirinda he has invoicing and he's using um something called like fusion or it's some free invoicing that you host yourself but it's plagued with like update problems or yeah that's or something whole, like that. that whole angle scares me yeah and so he paid it's like free or you can pay for updates or something like that but he's he's pretty ready to come I to make him send Silverfold. me invoices through Push Silver for the podcast. Like he edits it, so anytime he sends me an invoice, I make him do it through Push Silver. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the other thing I was going to ask you, um, you sent me a screenshot I think yesterday that kind of teased that Push Silver is now using Crondog for its recurring invoice stuff, or at least you got something in the works there. How's that going? It's going good. I mean, definitely. We already talked about me feeling like I needed to do a php sdk yeah which sounds really official just like a an api client um so i'm kind of like building that now but i initially i was just doing zttp requests inside the <laughs> controller and, and i want to be able to test it pretty well so i you know i kind of need to build the sdk and just have that ready to go to um yeah so that's been i don't know how to build an api client very well <laughs> using guzzle and yeah yeah so you could use zttp man i so for anyone who doesn't know which is everyone zttp is this like little <laughs> mini http library that i I put together that's like a real light abstraction on top of guzzle um just to let you do like what you need to do 95 percent of the time which is like make a request get some json back and check if it's an error or whatever send some headers and uh, the thing that always annoyed me about guzzle was like i have to instantiate a new guzzle client and you know, if I need to configure it, it just felt like so much heavy code. To me, I feel like an HTTP call is something I should be able to do like a static method call on a class, to be honest with you. And yeah. people will tell me this is evil, whatever. I personally think inject dependency injecting a guzzle client is like a, an anti-pattern because it tells me that you're going to try and like mock that or something in your tests, which means that now your API client isn't even tested because you're... Yeah mocking calls to guzzle which is is always just this gross useless thing to do 
So I built this little thing called ZTDP where you can do like ZTDP colon colon with headers, then an array of headers, and then post and pass the URL in the payload. And by default, it'll just post JSON to that payload. And when it comes back, you can call JSON on the response and get that converted into an array. It's basically like what you wish Guzzle was like most of the time. And Guzzle is, of course, a very excellent, um, robust piece of software. And you can use it for everything. And you can do all sorts of stuff with it I never do with it. So what I wanted to do is kind of leverage the fact that that works really well, but just kind of like expose a small subset of it in a nice way. Like, have you ever seen that picture that gets sent around when people are talking about product design that's like someone took their grandma's tv remote and they like covered half the buttons with tape and like labeled on the tape so like the only buttons that are left are like the numbers to pick the channels like the volume up and down buttons the channel up and down buttons and then like the power button but everything like about changing the aspect ratio or setting the sleep or all these other crazy options that no one uses are all like removed zttp is like that is like a bunch of tape covering up guzzle features uh, for yeah. the most part yeah that would make my sdk really easy because it's basically just method name and then like create schedule in cron dog and then it's a ztp request which is yeah. just a static call to beautiful <laughs> it's going to make so many people mad i need to make it not a uh right now i share it around with people via a gist because <laughs> it's literally three classes in one file i'm just like trying to go out of my way to be as anti best practice as possible, but still have it be good code. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like to prove a point that way sometimes, but maybe I'll uh, turn it into a real package sometime if I have time to maintain it. I know I'm going to be using it a ton in Kite Tail, so I'm going to yeah. want to make it better anyways. Do you know if there's a way to, you know, you could do like the VCS repository in Composer? Can you do that on a gist? Because gists are actually Git <laughs> repos. It's true. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, <laughs> I think the files in a gist are still going to be like interpreted as text or whatever. So, uh, I don't know. I should make it like just a, I should at least make it a GitHub repository, um, that people can use and just not put it on packages until I'm ready to commit to saying this is like a project that I actually maintain that I want people to use. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'll play with it a little bit more right now. It just does get and post. Not like it's hard to add the other ones. Uh, but I don't know. It works really well and it's really simple there's some things i actually want to build into it that make it more interesting like um so i've always hated trying to test things with guzzle and i don't really believe that it's a good idea to stub or mock like your http client i think it's better to like stub or mock the adapter that you wrote that's using that http client but i would like to build in functionality into zttp that lets you like basically fake requests by like constructing it with like an array of like endpoints and what those endpoints should return. Uh, So that like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like something simple for cases where you want to have tests that, you know, talk to some API and simulate what that API would return. Even though, again, I think there's risks to having those tests, but I think it could be kind of neat. But yeah, there's some cool things I think I could do with it that would make it like a really, really nice user experience for an HTTP client. That's kind of my goal, but... Yeah, it's kind of low priority, just something I kind of screw around with when I'm working on projects that need to make HTTP calls. Yeah, it's sort of an underground kind of fight club type library. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when Once you put it on packages, that kind of ruins the fun of it almost a little bit. Yeah, it does, because then you start getting issues and people asking for features or people complaining about things. It's more yeah. fun to just share gists around and copy and paste them. It's like PHP classes, like... 2.0. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. I love it. Just wanted to take a minute to thank Hired for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, time-consuming. You know, you got pushy recruiters trying to sell you on roles that you don't want, or job boards that make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go through the whole interview process only to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. So Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. The goal of Hired is to make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. 
So instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. So you just fill out one simple application and then top employers apply to hire you. So over a four week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests with upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big companies like Facebook, as well as smaller emerging startups. And the size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. So right now, Hired can help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. And they keep all your information totally private, so there's no way that your current employer or past employer can see that you're looking for a new job. The best part about Hired is that it's completely free to you as the person who's looking to get hired. In fact, Hired will actually pay you a $1,000 hiring bonus if you take a job that was offered to you through Hired. And for Full Stack Radio listeners, they're actually doubling that offer to $2,000. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener who's looking for a new opportunity, you can use Hired to look for a new job. And if you take one through Hired, you'll get $2,000. So if you're interested in more details about that, you can head over to www.hired.com slash fullstackradio to find out more. Thanks to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. So how far, I guess, are you with this integration now? Is like the version of Pushsilver that you plan to kind of like make available with this launch and stuff, is that going to be using CronDog? That, yep, that'll be using CronDog. Since there's so few actual recurring invoices that would use CronDog right now, I can convert them pretty easily. Yep. So it's not like I have to do a bunch of uh, legwork to make that happen. The kind of things I'm working through now are, you know, I need to have CronDog... Actually, handle the web, the web hooks on the push silver side when they come in, and you have to do that kind of quickly. I've learned this from reading the Stripe documentation on their web hooks. That it's probably good to like return a two hundred really quickly and then fire off whatever you need to do onto a job. Yeah, you know, and so that's something kind of been working on. And then another thing I've been thinking about is should I just store an ID for the job for the the cron dog schedule? on my end and just like update that uh, cron dog schedule each time, you know, somebody updates the invoice or should I just delete it and create a new, create a new one? Cause basically what you have is like what you would do if you, if you just deleted the schedule on cron dog and created a new one when they updated their invoice, you know, you'd lose like all the past logging for the webhook, but that might be pretty low value, you know, cause you basically want, what I see people wanting is just wanting to get alerts when the webhooks fail, you know? Yeah. That's probably on, the most on, important thing. Yeah. You know, that's really going to be something I want running push silver. I just want to know when the webhooks fail and why. So it seems like it's logging is only really useful for like getting up to speed, making sure all the webhooks work. And then in the odd case that so you have some random error later down the road, like maybe something came in as some weird data type or something that, is rare and screws things up or I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. I think uh, the purist in me likes the idea of like deleting and creating the new webhook. Like it sounds, I like that like sort of immutable sort of clean approach. Yeah. But uh, you might be able to preserve the logs by just not really supporting like, you know, manipulating the webhook, but at least allow you to like, sorry, the schedule, but allow you to like replace that schedule on CronDog, like a put, API call basically where you get to keep the same ID, but it's like a to- whole newly constructed schedule now. Yeah. Where I could see they getting tricky is like if you're changing your recurring type from like a monthly to a weekly, it almost seems it's, I've always like been like, like when you're updating a credit card in a system, it's always easier to just delete it and create a new one, you know, instead of like trying to update and then updating on the gateway. It's just always simpler to hit delete on everything and then create a new one, at least in my brain. Yeah. And so that's what I like to do. But when you're like changing from like different types, it seems like there's a, this seems messier. It seems like you're, there's going to be like some little end that you're not going to be able to keep clean. Yeah. You know, like, that's um, true. Well, I think there's no harm in doing with the, the delete and create because you can still maintain those logs. Uh, just, they just wouldn't be connected anymore. Like you could probably have like some archived, um schedules or something right and go back yeah. and look at those logs i mean at the same the time schedules. what the hell do you need logs for a deleted schedule for i don't know 
Yeah, it, hard that's to what say. I mean. It's like pretty low value to keep all the logs, but there's like some, like I guess developers now are like trained to like soft delete everything and yeah. don't ever actually delete, uh, which is interesting because I'm talking, there's something else, you know, on the new pricing when someone like cancels their yearly account you know they shouldn't have access anymore whereas previously if they canceled their account they're just going to the free tier and they everything should stay and so that's i've had to build the ability to like to cancel their account you know and so should i soft delete everything so that they can come back and pay me again or you know i think the i would probably soft delete it because it seems nice like if you come back and like create your account again that like you have your old invoices there. It's almost kind of scary to think about the uh, canceling your account in general thing because people like still want access to their invoices and stuff. But then it's like, I don't know. That's why the lifetime thing is like so beautiful because like you can't cancel lifetime. There's nothing yeah. to cancel. You just bought it. You own it now and you have it forever. So just it's all good. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Unless there's some like data purists. It's like, I don't want to be online anymore. And so I need to delete, you know, you have those kinds of folks that want, just to yeah. be able to wipe their existence from software out. Yeah. Which I think is good too. I guess it just comes down to, I don't know. I don't know how you want to do it. That's a, I mean, it's not the end of the world if someone has to email you and say, mm-hmm. Hey, I want to like wipe out all my account data. Like you can say in the cancel thing, like uh, we'll keep your data around in case you decide to come back. If you really want all your data gone, send an email here and I'll get rid of it all for you. So it's no big deal. That's just, use messaging to kind of communicate those options. Yeah. Have you ever had to do anything where you soft deleted everything in like a user's account? So we'll have like invoices, you know, payments, clients, all sorts yeah. of things. And it doesn't seem like there's a clean way to soft delete everything. It just kind no, of, there's not, I think the closest, I've, this is a conversation I've actually had a couple of times with different people. Um, I feel like if I was you in that case, what I would probably do, is basically create a job like a queue job that's designed to like deactivate an account and it would basically just be a bunch of procedural garbage that goes through and you know marks everything as soft deleted related to a user with a bunch of loops and a bunch of nastiness you don't want to like do it in line in the controller action but it feels I feel better about it if i can at least bundle that up into a job that i can just say okay like go clean everything up even if that job itself is kind of like a hairball, at least like the rest <laughs> of your code doesn't get all polluted with all that kind of messy, uh, nitpicky trying to specifically soft lead all these records related to everything. Because yeah, you're right. You can't use like, um, you know, foreign key constraints to do that like you could with a real delete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now I'm just deleting everything, so I might have to go back and soft delete or add soft deletes. I don't need. There's some things that probably don't have soft deletions on them. I mean, with your case, you almost just need to be able to soft delete the user itself because it's not like other people can look at other people's invoices or anything, right? So even if the invoices are not soft deleted, all that matters is that the account is soft deleted because everything is kind of like um, multi-tenant sort of in that sense, right? Like everyone's yeah. kind of isolated. Mm-hmm. Everybody's isolated by a team ID, but there's there's only one person on a team right now so yeah so just could have a active or not active on the user and just call it a day yeah i think that's probably a good first step anyways and then you can kind of once you actually see things happening related to that you can assess like is there anything i can improve here or whatever or is this actually totally fine yeah might not even be a problem yeah man that's exciting dude so what are you kind of working on like Right now, you said that you got some new features and stuff, too, that you're trying to add for this launch? Well, I tweeted out a picture of me adding a chart, a revenue chart. It's kind of been something I've been working on, like, a few years ago, but I just never really got around to doing it. You know, like, showing, like, a monthly breakdown of how much revenue is coming through. But it was one of those things where I'm just, like, needed something else to work on. You know, it's just something real small feature-wise that I could just build really quickly and it actually feels really good because it's like wow i actually needed this the whole time and i didn't realize you know to kind of see a trend of you know revenue inside push silver because i do everything through push silver if i'm getting billed 
even if I'm just like accepting a check from somebody, I'm doing it in push silver and just marking the payment manually. Between that and doing the the PHP SDK last night, that's what I've been working on. Awesome, man. Yeah, that's going to be good. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it goes well. If anyone listening to this is interested in lifetime access to an invoicing app that they can use forever and never have to deal with it again, you know, pay attention to the push silver launch. You're going to save some bucks and uh, cash some checks. <laughs> Accept some Stripe payments. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, so I guess uh, in my side, I got a couple uh, couple interesting and pieces of news to share. So probably the biggest one is that um, I decided to bring on my friend Steve Shoger, who is a... Uh, He's a designer who's like pretty well known these days in like the Laravel community because he's done, uh, he did like the new Laracon website. He did the Spark website. Uh, he's done a bunch of other stuff for Taylor. He made a lot of the logos for some of the different Laravel packages and stuff. Uh, but anyways, uh, he lives right around where I live, like 20 minute drive away. And we've been friends since before he got involved in like the Laravel community. And, uh, we've always like hacked on little side projects and stuff together, but never anything too serious. But I was working on Kitel all the time by myself. And I just like have a hard time making decisions about things a lot of time. Like I just get like blocked on trying to decide what the best way to do something is. Uh, so that coupled with the fact that I'm tr- was trying to do all the design myself, which I enjoy doing and I like really want to be good at design. So it's like a, a prideful thing for me to be able to say like I did all the design and like I feel really good about that but it's just like I'm so slow at it compared to someone who's like actually good at design so um, I was talking to Steve and you know we talked about this idea of him coming on as like a co-founder so that's what we've done now so now me and Steve are building Kitesail together and he's helping me out with all the design stuff and uh, we you know we do a call every couple days and try and work through some different user experience problems and figure out how we want things to work. And it's been really, 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 really good so far. It's really helpful to uh, have someone else's brain kind of thinking about things and be able to bounce ideas off someone. And a lot of time, like I'll be trying to decide between option A and option B, and I can't really figure out which one is right. But as soon as you ask someone else, it's like, well, that option is stupid because of this thing that you didn't think about. I don't know. It's just, it's so much more productive to have someone else to, to work with on it. So yeah, that's probably the biggest piece of news, which is uh, pretty exciting. So if uh, you don't know Steve, he has like a, a uh, icon library that I've been using on a lot of projects called Zondicons, which is like, uh, think of Love it like font. Yeah, it's like font awesome, but SVG icons. That's like a f- cool free icon set that you can check out. And I made like a little Laravel package for it that lets you use like a blade directive to spit these SVG icons into your templates. So that's a pretty cool thing to go check out. He also did this... Uh, project called Heroicons, which is like, uh, you know, when you have like a marketing site, you got like a list of features at the bottom or whatever, and everyone has these like little icons next to them. So he made like a whole kind of set of those that's designed to be like pretty general purpose. So you can use them on your own marketing sites. And then that one's actually cool because, um, all the icons have like different CSS classes applied to the different components of the icon. So you can like style them with CSS and it's Mm. done in like a really intelligent way where each icon has like classes for specific elements of it. So if there's a house, there might be like a door, a roof, a chimney, windows, stuff that you can all color independently. But he also like really carefully went through and added classes like primary color, secondary color, um, and like picked out, well, what part of this icon should be primary and what parts should be secondary. So you can style these icons with like full color. You can do them in like two-tone style and they're all like work really nicely together. It's like a really, really cool project. Uh, but the, the other cool thing about that is that, uh, he sells that right now as like a premium thing. And Kitetail is like going to be a, the perfect app for him to sell that sort of thing. So it's really cool to have someone like co-founding this with me that, uh, you know, also sells digital products online. So he can like dog food the app just like me and like can say when something feels like a shitty experience for someone trying to sell stuff. So it's really awesome to be working with a designer on something for once where the app is actually something that a designer could use. Cause so often I've worked on projects where you hire a designer or whatever, and 
designer is trying their best to understand like the problem that you're trying to solve. But if mm-hmm. it's not something that they have experience with, they can still do a really good job, but it's never going to be as good as a tool that they actually use as part of their business that like they really know how it should feel and how it should work. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, it feels like it's going to be a really, really good thing. Yeah. I definitely love the Heroicons and the Zondicons. I think it's funny that the Canadian folks over there say Heroicons, where I, I think more of a hero icons. Like, that's what I think in my head. Yeah. It's like, you know, because it's like a the hero image icons, but that's funny. So what, what's like the dynamic there, though, on a, like designing? So you're developing a feature and then you're like need design. Usually it's like a design-driven kind of flow where you get a design or it, it way in the way past you were doing like photoshop comps sketch comps and then building those out with front end stuff and then actually connecting it to back end but it seems like now since it started more as a development and you were kind of just designing what needed to happen what's the dynamic there yeah there's a little bit of both so um, for certain features i will kind of like prototype it out in the app i'm just kind of using kind of the, some of the patterns that I have already in place and then I'll show it to Steve after and we'll think about ways to make it better and reskin it or improve it because he's he's actually kind of working on a whole not a completely new but he's kind of taking the current app and the design that I did and sort of using that to inspire like something that he's kind of making from scratch that is going to be better than whatever crap I did um, so a lot of time he'll just be I'll, I'll kind of tell him like what I kind of need functionally um, or I'll like draw it on my iPad or something and he'll kind of like put that into something nice. But more often than not, we're actually like working together either in person or on like screen hero, mocking stuff up in sketch together, not necessarily in like high fidelity, but just kind of like figuring out, okay, well, this screen should have these pieces kind of organized this way and clicking this button should have this effect or take you here. And then once we kind of have that sort of rough stuff planned out, he goes ahead and kind of brings that up to higher fidelity. So he first thing he did was take the existing app and kind of rebuild all of the pages in Sketch so that he kind of had stuff to copy and paste around and reuse and stuff. I don't think there's like usually tons of value in uh, high fidelity mockups. If you're like a developer, for example, who's doing your own design, like you might as well just do the design in the browser right uh, but for steve he's faster in sketch than he is in the browser and i will would, would for, prefer to do the front end stuff myself because i am pretty opinionated about how <laughs> i want the css and stuff like that uh, so it still ends up being more productive for him to do like kind of high fidelity mock-ups or high-ish fidelity mock-ups and then i translate those into html and css not like pixel for pixel because i really don't believe in that i I believe in like you know getting the general idea and and using like the tools that i have to simulate it and communicate the same thing and whatever but i'm not worried about like oh well he's got 12 pixels between these two lines of text and i had 16 like that's ridiculous it's not important um but yeah using those to kind of like port over to html and css using whatever pattern library we've sort of put in place but yeah that's been working uh pretty well so far so yeah neat yeah i remember doing some sites like eight ten years ago where the design was so terrible but i was so like um it was so terrible that you could only do it exactly as the the photoshop file looked you know because it was like so bad that like if it wasn't 173 pixels down from this element you know this element yeah. wasn't 173 pixels down you didn't know if you were doing it right at all but now you know with these kind of more i don't know they seem more organized especially with apps you know it's not a marketing yeah. page where there's like it seems like all the tolerances have to be there the apps you know you kind of have like these systematic approaches to design so even if it's you know 10 pixels from the button to the text you know you kind of just rely on the patterns yeah that are it doesn't built matter in the app as much work. yeah yeah, yeah, you kind of throw it up there. I always it's think not like, like the, art. Like a marketing yeah. page, a lot of time is like someone took like a a poster that they would like hang up in like downtown of some like like a Chicago downtown poster or on the wall advertising like some play or something, and you're trying to turn that into a website. Like right. that's a completely different <laughs> uh, 
job. I don't know. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in building yeah. like actual user interfaces, uh, which I think, you know, you can, it's much more about like building a set of like reusable components and patterns to sort of building blocks that you can kind of build this thing out of, right? Yeah. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. And we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on you know, th- this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't, we'd be dealing with it. So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI, and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. I'm trying to think what else I got to uh, share. So, I mean, the other thing is uh, I sort of officially did this. Um, so I've been trying to like share everything related to this app pretty publicly in terms of talking about it on Twitter or doing this podcast. Um, but I wanted to like make it more of a structured official thing. So I launched this landing page at building.kitetail.co uh, where I sort of have announced like a proper streaming schedule. So I'm doing like live coding streams. I was doing them on Twitch before, but I'm doing them on YouTube now. But I do them every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern and every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. So that's like a consistent thing that like people can kind of put in their calendar. Uh, which is pretty cool because I get a lot more people showing up to them when they're sort of announced in advance than just one day I decide, oh, I think I'm going to stream this afternoon or whatever. Yeah. It also keeps me like more accountable in terms of being consistent with it. And I'm also doing like a, a weekly newsletter, I guess you could call it, uh, where basically every Sunday I send out uh, kind of a write-up of any cool, interesting things like that we worked on that week, like any interesting, challenging decisions or how we solved them as well as like including links to the two coding streams that I would have done that week, summarizing them a little bit. And I've been doing this like tip of the stream thing, I'm calling it, where out of every stream I do, I find some interesting like takeaway that maybe people aren't aware of and uh, write that up as like a little mini blog post sort of in the newsletter, which has been kind of cool. I I haven't really got a lot of feedback from those emails, uh, so I'm not sure if people are digging them or not. But it's definitely cool to be able to throw those little tips in there like for example last week uh i did two streams one on tuesday and one on friday and me and you did the one on tuesday together and uh you mentioned that something i didn't know with view is when you have like a view component when you go to use that component in your template and you just put like the opening tag and closing tag there you can like stick a class on that component and it'll get merged into the classes on the top level element inside the components template, mm-hmm. which was something I didn't know. And in the past, I've actually added like a class prop to my component sometimes if I wanted to accept that in, but it just works out of the box. You don't have to do that. Right. So that was like one of the tips that I included with like some examples of how that works and stuff like that. So yeah, that's going pretty cool. I actually have like 700 people who signed up on that landing page Um, so that's definitely neat to be able to have people come and check this stuff out. I'm also, um, like keeping all those live streams like on YouTube now. So I have like a real YouTube channel with like playlists where you can go and watch all the past streams, uh, which is cool. So yeah, you're really spreading the kind of the building process out amongst different channels and different like ways people can get value from just watching you build the app. You know, you got the YouTube streams, well, YouTube, which is like an archived format, so people can watch it kind of on demand. You've got the the actual live stream, which is you know somebody sitting at their desk and wants to be inspired by that can kind of follow along. You got the the Sunday 
uh, emails. I mean, it's just everywhere. And that's like, but it's, it's not a way like, Hey, buy the app. Cause there's nothing you can buy yet, but it's like builds awareness in a way yeah. that's like, it's just in their mind. Cause they're just getting value from it before <laughs> it's yeah. even launched. And I think that's basically the only thing I even can do in terms of marketing it. Like it's probably the thing I feel like the most comfortable doing. Like I don't like trying to go out and sell things and push things on people. I'd rather just like take the audience I have, figure out a way, how can I take like this thing that I'm building and make it interesting to people. So people care about it. People talk about it. People know about it. And then with any luck, there's like a subset of those people who actually like think it's a cool app that they could actually get value from and you know hopefully get some initial customers there and then grow up from there i also think it's just like more fun to share stuff um i always like i'm afraid of building stuff like in a cave on your own and then launching in and no one cares at least this way like people know about it the whole time and uh even if i'm not doing like you know traditional marketing i guess uh it does feel like i'm at least doing something to uh you know again build awareness and make sure that people know about it by doing the whole thing in public so yeah it's been pretty fun so far and you're leveraging the skills you already have like building off of your strengths with teaching and that whole angle so it's 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 good it's not a a new like spammy skill that you have to grow you know you're just using what you already do and feel feel honest and good about it's actually been kind of inspiring I, i recorded one stream because i'm too chicken to actually just go live with it I did it by myself just to see what it was like and watched it. It was like, oh, I'm such an introvert anyways in like real life that the streams are just not, don't seem that interesting to me. And then the second one was just a train wreck because, you know, with your (laughs) stuff, you're kind of like building these features out and you've had enough screencasting and like you've done a few live streams now that it's kind of like has a flow and it feels like you're narrating the whole process. Whereas when I did it, was doing it on mine, I was coming up with, I was using new features, but building in this app that's almost like three or four years old. And so the code is just like so gnarly. Like there's like blade templates that represent view components that have like the old form helpers, like from like the Laravel Collective. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is all terrible. And kind of like refactoring that old code. It's like embarrassing and like, (laughs) and hard at the same time, because it's not, not a clean new feature. I could just build it out, you know. I had like that same sort of experience when I did my last stream because I decided what I wanted to do was like take Kytil in its current form and just like try and brute force it into my course app and like integrate it at all costs and just kind of <laughs> see where it broke down just to kind of like really emphasize the parts that still needed work. Um, so I did a stream trying to do that and I literally didn't change a single line of Kytil code in the whole stream. The whole thing was just trying to like correctly respond to the webhook from my course app and save the data in the right place and all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was painful for the same reasons. Cause first of all, it's fucking impossible to debug webhooks when I'm trying to test that submitting this form on Kitetail sends a webhook to this app and that it works. Like I can't like dump things or log things easily because that response I never even see because it's like happening kind of like server to server secretly between the two apps. Whereas normally I would like be adding a DD or something and like inspecting things. I could refresh the page and see it in a perfect world. I would just have tests for this sort of thing, but that app doesn't have tests because, uh, yeah, that's embarrassing, but it's true because it kind of got hacked together so fast in the 11th hour. You can just blame me because I built the early parts of that. So I know, but you, when I got you to build it, it was a static site. And then yeah. like last minute I was like, Oh man, I should make this a Laravel app. So then like we transferred the static site over to the Laravel app and it just like, it sort of like sneakily became like a real application, like without anyone noticing. And I was like, Oh shit, I have an app here that takes payments and has users and stuff. Now, how did this happen? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've done something similar with cron dog, like going site to site. Like I built this little, sample project that uses cron dog and then i had basically had two terminal windows up that were tailing the logs for both apps to make sure everything you know was working correctly when it sent here i fired off a job that spit some log stuff out you know to make sure everything the payload was correct and 
Yeah, that sounds like a smarter way to do it. It was like the only way I could figure it out. <laughs> yeah. The webhook stuff is uh is tough. For it is sure. tricky. Have you ever done any testing on like Stripe webhooks? Because it seems like they'll send you test webhooks, but then they were mentioning in their documentation that some of the events could be sent more than once, and so you kind of have to do it in a way that you log all of the previous requests that you have and make sure you don't do one again. Seems like I've never I've never uh, accounted for that. I can say that. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. If anything, what I've done in the past is try to design my webhook endpoints, like the things that respond to webhooks, in such a way that if like the exact same payload comes again, uh, it just won't have a negative effect. Like make them kind of item potent in mm-hmm. that way. That's what I was so saying. So I don't have to try and count the number of retries or. Or, you know, if the same request gets sent twice, it doesn't, like, send someone an invoice twice or bill them twice or anything crazy like that. But I honestly, the way that I've done it in the past is by um, almost, like, leveraging the database entirely, like, relying on, like, unique constraints to prevent things from even, like, triggering. So if a payload comes in, I might, like, save, try to save that payload and have a unique constraint on the payload ID column and it'll just fail <laughs> and yeah. then it's just like silently return a 200 <laughs> or some other horrible thing just swallow the error up and just yeah. pretend it didn't happen yeah just fine. ignore it because it's a duplicate or whatever yeah, yeah. there's because you can send test webhooks but they don't they're not tied to any actual customers or anything in stripe so it's seemed pretty i don't know maybe it's useless <laughs> like if you're not actually affecting anything it can verify that the the result of your actions did anything it's not very valuable yeah something i actually need to build out soon is uh, like an interface for people to test their webhooks in kitetail uh which is going to be interesting i haven't like quite cracked it yet but i'm thinking what it'll be is like on the page where you would configure your like primary fulfillment webhook just have like a, a test button or something and it'll just open a modal or something maybe where you specify a new endpoint and then press a button to send a payload there. And maybe it'll actually preview the payload. Like, hey, we're going to send this payload to this endpoint. Press a button and then also log the response that comes back. So you can kind of just sit there and test that stuff out and make sure people know to use ngrok or something for that so that it'll actually work. But yeah, yeah, should be fine. It'd be interesting to talk about when you actually get it built out. Yeah. I got to do a stream this afternoon and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do yet. I kind of think the thing that really was brutal with the stream last week was because of the fact that my course app was just like not responding properly like i didn't have the integration built correctly uh, what i kept happening to me on the kitetail side was that a payment would succeed the webhook would fail and then in trying to take the response that came back from the webhook or from the server sorry and use that to display an error message if something went wrong because like just a big 500 html page comes back my error message would just be like an opening angle bracket because it's like the first piece of data that comes back from uh from the response so i realized like hey okay i need to gracefully handle like webhook failures in a better way so i think that might be what i work on on the stream this afternoon like add some tests for saying okay well if you send a webhook and the webhook dispatcher says uh this thing 500ed then figure out a way to at least show a thank you page that's like, hey, your payment was successful and we're going to not tell you that the other person's server is screwed up and just email them and make sure that they fix it. But everything's good, don't worry, sort of thing. But yeah, might be something fun to work on this afternoon. It'd be fun. Cool, man. Well, uh, we've been going for close to an hour, so maybe it's a good time to uh, to wrap things up. So June 14th. June 14th. That's going to be the day. I believe so. So I think we're going to have... What's today? We're recording on the 23rd. We're going to try and release this on the 24th. June 14th is going to be the Wednesday. Flag day. So we're going to release this one tomorrow. Then we're going to release another one on June 7th. So we'll have one more podcast between today and the launch. And then we'll have another podcast to record a week after the launch. So we'll be able to uh, see how that went for you. So that'd be cool pre-game it and then after party yeah man i'm looking forward to that i think it's a i don't know i think it's gonna do well like to me it's a really exciting sort of way to approach an app like that i really like the angle of like 
really trying to capitalize on the people who just don't care about like, you know, trying to pick and choose the right feature set. They're more concerned with just like, I just need something that's going to let me send invoices once in a while and not have to pay monthly for something I never even use. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's a, I think there's a story there that like could work. So yeah, I'm trying to do that with the, the new hero image too. Like you're going to edit it. It's going to look like this and this is what you're going to send to your client. You know, it's and very that's the like, only time. And after that, you can go back to browsing the rest of the internet and forget that you even have a push over license until right. the next invoice. Yeah. I don't know, man. Should be good. Excited for it. All right, man. Well, it's been fun uh, chatting with you. Maybe we can uh, jump on and do another pair programming stream sometime soon. Yeah. Anytime. Sounds good. All right. Thanks to uh, Hired and Rollbar for sponsoring Full Stack Radio as always. If you're interested in uh, show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 65. I'll be sure to include a link to the uh, ever-elusive ZTTP library, the secret gist. (laughs) And uh, I'll link to a couple other cool things we chatted about. And uh, if you enjoyed the episode, leave us a comment at fullstackradio.com slash 65 or leave us a review on iTunes. I love getting five-star reviews on iTunes. And uh, make sure that you pay attention at David Hempel on Twitter for when he announces this push-over landing page that we're going to make him build so that you can sign up <laughs> to get notified when he does this launch. And uh, head over to building.kitetail.co if you're interested in uh, getting like the newsletters and hearing about the streams and stuff too. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>